and hello, hello. I'm Melody, and this is It's a Scary Life. I'm your host, and this is my wonderful co-host and always fantastic, Ellen. Hey, everybody. Hello. We are so glad to be back. Super, super glad. It's been a few months Yeah. since we've recorded. <laughs> <laughs> had a bit of a summer snafus uh, where I had to take some time for personal shit where... For a while, I didn't even have my sound equipment with me. Yeah. Yeah. For like a good half of the time we were gone. Yeah. Yeah. But we are back now. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, back to recording in October. And um, let's get let's get started by thanking y'all, our listeners, for pressing play. Yeah. We really appreciate you guys. Yeah. No, no, one, no one required you to press play, but you do it. And that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we've been on this journey here with the podcast and our personal lives and having you along for the ride, even just like this little bit has been so great. So, you know, if you want to help the pod out, tell your friends, your parents, your coworkers, anyone who you know might enjoy like true crime or history and whatever topic I wish to subject Ellen to because getting the word out is the best thing you can do as a listener. The more people who listen, the more we can grow towards being able to scale back on other work and put more time into the podcasts and other creative projects that can get you some good content. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of helping us scale back onto other work for more energy to be put into creative projects, if you feel like supporting us financially, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash It's a Scary Life where you can get a membership to some bonus content like therapy on a budget tips. And we love you guys, but we love our patrons just that little bit more. Exactly. <laughs> so this time around, Ellen, we are going to hear a tale of a Halloween mystery solved by advancing science. <gasps> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. When two young women are killed in a house in Napa Valley, leaving a sole survivor Police are stumped as to who could have broken into the home to commit the murders and what their motivation could have been. But after collecting hundreds of pieces of evidence, talking to over 200 leads, and not coming up with a suspect in custody, a new look at some forensic evidence left behind at the crime scene not only helped investigators narrow down their search on the right path, but led to a voluntary confession by the killer. Ooh, we love those. Right? Yeah. So, Ellen, today I bring you to the top-tier wine country of California, Napa Valley, to the senseless murders of Leslie Mazzara and Adrienne and Sonia. <laughs> Lauren and Adrienne and Sonia became friends while seeing one another at sporting events in Napa in 2003. Lauren's last name will be withheld, as she has asked publications to do this since the initial news coverage. The two were beautiful 26-year-old women who chose to start their careers in an area with lots of wineries, fine dining, and little to no nightlife. In early 2004, they decided to move into a house together, and things were going well for the two of them. They met Leslie Mazzara, who worked for the sales department for Nebaum Coppola Winery, and later in 2004, in that summer, she moved into the house with Lauren and Adrienne. The women lived mostly peacefully with one another. They had a small tiff about Leslie bringing a boyfriend home, keeping the others up on October 28th. Once the three had a discussion about the behavior, they came to the conclusion that bringing men home would be tolerated. <laughs> Which, you know, I, if, you, if your walls aren't thick, you gotta make some ground rules. I mean, ground rules. Do your best to keep things quiet, man. 
Yeah. Like, if you if you gotta go out and get gags, maybe that's what you need to do to, for, like, a nice, quiet living situation. Exactly. That's, that's definitely what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. So, on Halloween night, when she woke up in the night to see that the security light had been tripped behind the garage and Lauren heard her dog giving a little warning bark, she simply assumed that one of Adrian's cats was in the yard. Nothing to worry about, right? And then a few minutes later, when she heard someone enter and go up the stairs, she figured it was just Leslie's boyfriend again. Annoying if they were making quite a bit of noise again, but still she felt there was nothing to worry about. So Lauren allowed herself to drift off back to sleep until she heard a scuffle and a terrified scream from upstairs. Adrienne had cried out, Oh my God, please help, please help. Oh dear. Lauren moved to get out of the house and listened for the intruder to come downstairs. When she heard the intruder in running down the stairs, knocking things over in the process, she then ran for the door once she was sure it would be clear. In her panic, however, she ran to the back door, trapping her in with a six-foot-high fence and leaving no way out but back... Towards danger. Well, that's not ideal. No, it's not. Lauren stood in the backyard in fear the intruder would find her there and attack her like they did her friends. But it had gotten quiet, and all she could hear was Adrienne crying out for help. She listened to Adrienne's pleas as she went to the house and attempted to call 911. The line in the kitchen was dead, however, and instead Lauren went upstairs to investigate herself. Lauren saw Leslie face down in a pile of clothing on the floor, drenched in her own blood. Leslie had suffered multiple stab wounds through the torso and arms. Lauren then found Adrienne behind her bed. At this point, she'd lost too much blood to speak and was rapidly bleeding out from multiple stab wounds to her torso, defensive wounds all over her. Lauren slipped in her friend's blood as she turned and went back downstairs to find her cell phone to call 911. She was able to give a dispatcher some information before the line went dead, losing service. It was at this moment Lauren realized that the killer could still be in the house. So she ran to her car and drove away to get a signal and get to safety and called 911 again as she drove. Oh my god, that is that is horrifying. Yeah. Oof, just also just the idea of slipping in your friend's blood is yeah, it's a it's a whole other level of horror. Yeah, yeah. Um, and unfortunately, so many people have to experience things like that, especially because we won't get better gun control in this damn country. Yeah. But getting back to this story, because <laughs> this one's not about gun control. Police came to the house of the horror scene to which Lauren, unfortunately, had been a band- bystander. They question her about the events of the evening and do a thorough search of the house and property. On the property, they find three cigarette butts sitting on the ground that look fairly fresh. There's also a broken window in the kitchen with a smear of blood that is swabbed and taken into evidence. They collect over 266 pieces of evidence altogether, hoping something will help them catch the killer who fled into the night. The murder weapon was not among the items collected. Lauren is questioned about anyone the women knew, and she gave them as many as their friends as she could figure could possibly have done this. From Lauren's story and the evidence they are able to see initially from the crime scene, they piece together a timeline of events. The killer stood outside the house smoking cigarettes, likely to get the nerve to go inside and go through with their plan. 
listen, if you have to get up the nerve. Yeah, I, maybe maybe just don't do it. Maybe there there's almost always a better solution. Just don't do it. Suicide. Don't do it. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> well, this would be homicide. Don't do it. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a Heather's reference. <laughs> I know. Yeah. But also in that case, homicide. Yeah. Don't do it. Homicide. Don't do yeah. it. Yeah. So proof of premeditation. Uh, proof of premeditation and a more likely targeted attack since they were standing outside smoking those cigarettes. Getting the nerve, you know? Yeah, yeah. Then they enter the home by breaking the kitchen window. The killer goes to the upstairs bedroom, either because Lauren's door was closed, as she speculated to police, or because they were targeting one of the women upstairs. The killer entered Leslie's room first, getting blows with her knife before she could wake up. Adrienne, however woke up and struggled with the killer, earning her several defensive wounds. Now, it's Leslie that has the, that had the boyfriend, right? Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and investigators began by looking into people from Leslie's life. Leslie Mazzara was born August 1st, 1978, in Orlando. She was raised in Greenville, South Carolina, and was a member of the Greenville Ballet Company. She attended South Carolina Governor's School of the Arts, and she was described by friends in a Dateline special as bright, bubbly, pure, and sweet. Leslie went on to college at the University of Georgia, where she received a bachelor's in philosophy. She was on the lacrosse team and in karate club while in college, and also competed as a beauty queen, and won Miss Williamston in 2002. Nice. Right? That, that takes some guts doing a... It takes beauty a lot. Pageants. It takes a lot to do a beauty pageant. Yeah. It takes it takes quite a bit of gumption, mm-hmm. um, especially at that level where yeah. this, this, these are the ones where they're getting like this is the real deal. These are the people getting major scholarships for college. And also going up against you know people who have been doing this their entire lives. Yeah, I mean we don't. There's no record of her doing it prior well, no, to that, but, I but mean, there's like, also not the a lot about that, her life. The, <laughs> no, yeah. I, I'm talking about, like, when you get to that level, you, you're you going up against others who have been doing this since they were, you know, oh, you're yeah. You're going up against the Demi Lovatos. Oh, did she do pageants? Yeah, pageants was the first thing, and then they landed her. Some TV stuff. Horrifying. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And this is why she's so fucked. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Or they're so fucked. I mean, they mm, they go by she, her as well, so it's not oh, the worst. Oh, okay. I miss that one. I do yeah. not pay a lot of attention to pop culture. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> but back to Leslie. Yeah. Leslie was a woman without a known enemy. Being a beauty queen, though, she had many men interested in her, which gave police a long list to work through. Oh, God. They started with Leslie's current boyfriend and immediately good. got meth with a solid alibi. Boo. I mean, that's good. I'm, gl- yeah. I'm glad that... <laughs> He's not the murderer. That's... Yeah. yeah. They then looked into an ex of hers from South Carolina who, according to Forensic Files episodes, Good as Gold, was naturally in South Carolina at the time. But his evil twin. <laughs> <laughs> the evil twin Armando. We're just... We're not going to talk Telemundo right now. <laughs> oh, I, again, nothing. Yeah. Uh, after going through Leslie's friends and connections, they had reached a dead end. Investigators then moved on to Adrienne. Adrienne and Sonia was born and raised in Calistoga, 
California in Napa County. Growing up, she was a student athlete and a longtime Girl Scout, even becoming a troop leader when she settled back in Napa Valley after college, according to her obituary in the Press Democrat. Oh, shit. That's impressive. Right? Like, yeah. Girl Scouts is an awesome organization. I think they teach wonderful communication leadership sh- skills. They just, there's so much to, you know, celebrate with Girl Scouts. And the fact that she was a troop leader is awesome. That takes a lot of patience. Pa- yeah. <laughs> so I was much say planning. And just, like, especially as you get to the upper levels. Yeah. But the planning requires a lot of patience because <laughs> it's a yes. lot of talking to parents and the. We don't need to get into the logistics of doing something for children. Yeah, no. It's a headache no matter what. I will say, Girl Scouts will always have my respect because of Thin Mints. Yeah, Girl Scouts will always have my respect because they were like, oh, trans girls want to join? Yeah. Yeah, why would we question it? Okay, well now I feel silly for bringing up the Thin Mints thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, obviously, trans rights is more important than Thin Mints. Yeah, because honestly... Had they not been in support of that, I would have just given up Girl Scout cookies. But oh, yeah. yeah. It is a close second, though. True. The yeah. cookies themselves are a close second to the trans rights. Stuff. You know, you know. But yeah, off of Girl Scouts. Mm-hmm. Adrienne had received her bachelor's in civil engineering from Cal Poly from San Luis Obispo in 2001. Oh, now that's cool. Yes. She then moved back to Napa Valley, becoming an assistant engineer at the Napa Sanitation Department important ass job oh my god important ass she job. was so cool i super cool that's listen, a great job listen, that's amazing i work with children and i am always talking i am always hyping up sanitation workers yep like always they are the thing that is standing between us and societal collapse they are the thing but standing between us and basically being the middle ages yeah yeah, yeah. oh my god the middle ages was gross guys it was disgusting, and it's because most of Europe did not have proper sewer systems. No, they did not. They did Or water that. treatment plants. It was all just witchcraft. Yeah. Or garbage collection in a reasonable and, like, right. total... Anyways. Yeah. I could go on. Yeah. Um, but Adrienne was known for having love and caring for the communities that she was a part of. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. she's... If yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is so cool. She's great. Oh, so investigators find it extremely difficult to find a single person of interest that didn't lead in a dead end with Adrienne as well. With two women brutally murdered and no leads the f- to follow, the case goes cold for a short time. Okay, I'm going to ask. A, no, yeah. I'm not. No, I'm not. Never mind. What, what were you going to ask? No, just I, w- I was going to start being suspicious of the intruder thing, but seeing as we are respecting the fact that uh lauren does not want her last name brought up i figure yeah i shouldn't be suspicious yeah yeah okay good logic thank you <laughs> i sometimes have it i sometimes have it hey listen i've been i'm i'm here after work it's been a day okay yeah <laughs> i do get her after she's spent several hours with a infant so my brain is toast. We get the mashed potato, Ellen. Because D&D is on Sundays, so I don't get to claim her on Sundays anymore. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but after months of questioning people without getting any closer to figuring out who entered the house in Napa that Halloween night, investigators took another look at the evidence collected and looked into getting some of the DNA tested. 
In 2004, DNA testing was still considered a new science in forensics. Nowadays, we think of this as the first step in an investigation, get everything tested for the killer's DNA. But in the early 2000s, this type of testing was still new and underutilized. And I mean, it's a finicky thing. If, if, ish. It's not all that finicky, to be honest. It's just people's trust in it is finicky. Okay. DNA is pretty solid. It's like a no, 1 know, in 72 million that, chance that it's wrong. I know that the DNA is solid. I'm just saying that, like, the, the, the crime scenes are messy. That's all. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but that's why you get over 200 pieces of evidence. Oh, no, yeah, so, listen. Yeah. I'm not doubting yeah. DNA evidence. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, it's a new tech, and it's something that, like, you can, that the, the, they're not used to. Yeah. yeah, it's just, it's new and underutilized. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the investigators had the blood swab tested and found that it was, in fact, the blood of a male. They also had the saliva on the cigarette butts tested in a more specific test that looked for genetic markers like skin, hair, and eye color. While police waited for the results of the more intricate tests, they began to go through their list of people of interest who had been questioned testing their DNA against the swab. No one was a match for the killer. Oh, what the fuck? Then they received the forensics from the cigarette butt, and it blew the case wide open. Holy shit. Who was it? Was, so, was it the boyfriend? No. Fuck. The butt itself was from a camel Turkish gold, a rather new type of cigarette that had only been on the market for about four months and wasn't held in a whole lot of stores quite yet. The DNA analysis told police that cigarettes were definitely from their suspect and that they had light skin blonde hair and blue eyes police disclosed this discovery to press withholding the type of cigarette to hold on to for questioning suspects or anyone who may try to confess investigators then went to back to lauren and asked her about anyone that was in their social circle who smoked she could only think of one circ person who was really a peripheral friend Adrienne was friends with a woman named Lily and had been for a very long time. And it was only Lily's boyfriend, Eric Koppel, who she could think of who smoked. Police realized that in their investigation, Eric managed to, to dodge being questioned or having a DNA sample taken. Ah. Meanwhile, the television news in Napa began sharing the new development about the gruesome murder from about a year before releasing the skin, eye, and hair color of the killer. Eric Koppel had been watching the news at home and realized it was only a matter of time until the cops were at his door. He spoke with some family members who convinced him to turn himself in, and so he walked into the precinct and confessed. I mean, good. Good. Yeah, except we, we don't get what a great explanation. Oh, for why he did it? Oh, God, so Eric claims he was in a fugue state while killing the woman and that he had been the entire night. Um, yeah. A fugue state is A, very hard to prove, and B, very odd thing to actually happen to a person. Just because you have repressed memories doesn't make it a fugue state. He offers the police no motivation for the murders, no matter how much they question him. What a dick. Eric makes it clear to the investigators that he didn't realize DNA testing had come so far. And had he not heard they had a description of him based on DNA alone, he would not have come in. Uh, and to be honest, had it been the 1930s, 
Oh, he would have been scot-free. He got away scot-free. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Without this level of DNA testing, without this level of advanced science. There's a pool of the killer's blood. He, he, gross. (laughs) Yeah. It's just gross. Like, you can't do anything with it. Yeah. I mean, at least he was honest about it. Yeah, but he's such a shithead. No, listen. (laughs) I... I hate this guy. I, I would love to know that someone had punched in his face it would be nice you know unfortunately he didn't hurt children so he's not gonna get that hurt in prison but yeah and listen no one we from a moral standpoint you know we're not advocating for corporal punishment officially on this podcast because the prison system needs reform that being said this blonde-haired blue-eyed white boy yeah it's this is one of those things where I want to go not even like medieval on him. I want to go ancient on him. I want to like chop off a limb. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I. <laughs> if your hand offends, cut it off. Like. Hell yeah. Go back to Eric Koppel. From yeah. here, he makes everyone's life fairly easy and pleads guilty at arraignment, receiving life without parole at sentencing. Good. But still begs the question why? So, as best can be figured by those who actually knew Lily and Adrienne. Lily and Adrienne were just good friends, and Adrienne always looked out for what was best for Lily. So, when Lily was engaged to Eric and their relationship was having some big troubles, Adrienne's advice helped guide Lily to postpone their wedding. Not cancel, just postpone. It was a few months. Oh, that, that makes sense. And, that, yeah. yeah, and this infuriated Eric. Yeah. He saw Adrienne as standing in the way of his relationship, mm-hmm. being a happy one. He killed Adrienne out of revenge for this, and Leslie was only killed because he entered her room first, and he wasn't close enough with the roommates that he may have thought that everyone in the home was dead when he left, because he, he may not have realized there was a third person oh. in the home. What the fuck, man? Uh, mm. Yeah. In January of 2005, he married Lily with her completely clueless to what <gasps> he'd done. Wait, he got arrested in? Uh, the uh, November of the next year, 2005. Because that's how... What the fuck? That's how long it took for... For the DNA to the, evidence to be processed yeah, directly. Yeah, yeah. For everything. them to actually... Yeah. Well, for them to actually, A, submit it and then process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, And in the time since then, he had attended the vigil. They made a very big point of inviting Adrian's mother to their wedding. Oh. It was big. Oh, that's fucked. And listen, I get it from Lily's point of view. Because she knew nothing and she was like, well, I can't have my dear friend here. But. Oh, that's so fucked. Yeah. I I would not wish prison violence on anyone. However, if I were to, he would he would be a prime target. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Were, were I to cleave less tightly to some stupid fucking morals, I. What the fuck? A sanitation worker. And like a beauty queen. A sanitation worker. What the fuck? So at the beginning of this episode, I described this murder as senseless. Many would argue all murder 
is senseless. And to those, I pose the cases like Dee Dee Blanchard, who abused a child into feeling like there was truly no other way out. But this murder truly falls into the category of senseless. Eric Koppel could not face up with the issues he was creating in his own relationship. He could not see his own attitude and actions as to why Lily's friends would advise her to slow down and postpone their wedding. Instead, seeing it as people trying to keep them apart. Eric Koppel fell into a trap many people do. Blame everyone but me, myself, and I. It's a pattern that can lead people to behaving poorly, no matter who they are. And if they are someone with just low enough moral character or conscience, the inability to face their own actions can lead a person to murder that is truly senseless because it is rooted in their flat, narcissistic worldview. And that, Ellen, is a story of the senseless murders of Leslie Mazzara and Adrienne and Sonia. Well, damn. What the fuck? Yeah. That was not a fun one, Melody. No. But it occurred on Halloween. Oh, it, oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so shitty. I mean... And it's one of those where it's such a common issue in all kinds of relationships. Yeah. Where someone will be like, oh, you talked to a friend and now you want to, you know, set this boundary. That That friend must be evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. I murder. He couldn't even just try and emotionally manipulate, you know, his fiance about it. No. Well, I don't think yeah. he was that skilled a narcissist. No, fair. I'm. I'm just. I'm just. <laughs> and listen, emotional manipulation is bad and awful. Always. All the time. Forever. That being said, if if you're having personal problems, dear dear listeners, don't do murder about it. It's not worth it. Even then, it's not worth it. Yeah. Go get therapy. Yeah, murder is never worth the thing. Go get therapy. The truly senseless things in the world are done because someone's just can't get over themselves. A dick. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that too. That too, Melody. But yeah. Um, if you yourself feel like Blaming everyone, but you yourself and me, I guess. You yourself and me. If it's me, myself, and I, I don't know what to... <laughs> you yourself and yourn? No. No, I don't know what it is, but... Yeah. If you feel the need to blame everyone but yourself in every situation, obviously there's sometimes where you're just the one right person, and that's okay. We have to acknowledge both sides of that. But for the most part. But if you find yourself always being the only. Oh, yeah. If you're always maybe, the only one who's maybe right. Maybe there are some things there exactly. to talk about. But also, if you find that you are constantly taking on the blame in every situation. Oh, that's a similar issue. Maybe also go talk to some therapy about it. Exactly. Yeah. Because that's a form of self-gaslighting. Ooh. Yeah. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Learn something new every day. Yeah. Yeah. So go get therapy, guys. Don't commit murders. And uh, I guess we will uh, see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.